Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. I want to tell you a couple of things uh, that you may not know about me this morning, okay? And the first thing is, I was born and raised in a city called New Bedford, Massachusetts, okay? New Bedford, Massachusetts. It's actually the whaling city capital of the world at one time, okay? So when people were like super into killing whales, they would go to New Bedford, right? That was their thing, okay? So that's one thing that they were known for, all right? Uh, Second thing that you may not know about me is that I am Portuguese, okay? I'm a Portuguese-American, as it were. Now, uh, as some of you may not know this, but uh, uh, my first boss didn't call it Portuguese. He called it pork and cheese. That was kind of a thing. Um, I don't know why people say they never heard Portuguese before, so you'd say, oh, you're pork and cheese? And I'd say, yeah, close enough. All right, fine. I never had the heart to correct him. <laughs> so, um, so I'm from New Bedford, Massachusetts, and filled with only Portuguese people, Okay. There's a saying back home that the, uh, my hometown in New Bedford, there's a bridge that connects to the next city over, and they said it was the longest bridge in the world because it went from New Bedford to Portugal. <laughs> so that's the kind of place that I lived. I found it interesting. One time I went to that city to fill out uh, some paperwork for a DMV, and uh, as I told them my last name, which is Gonzalves, um, I went to go spell it for him. And she kind of looked at me funny, and she was like, of course I know how to spell Gonzales. This is Fall River. This is where Portuguese people live. And so I went, oh, okay, cool. I'm in the right place. All right. Um, so being from New England, that would also make me a Yankee, okay? Anybody here from the South know what a Yankee is? All right, you guys know what a Yankee is. Any here, anybody here, a Yankee? All right, we've got some Yankees here too. Wow, this is like true kingdom right here. Yankees and Southerners together in one room. This is amazing. I love it. Um, now, I don't want you to be confused. I am not a Yankees fan, okay? If I was a Yankees fan, my Massachusetts family would beat me like Paul and throw me out of the city and leave me for dead, okay? You don't mess with the Red Sox nation. So I'm not a Yankees fan, but I am, in fact, a Yankee. Now, one more thing you need to know about me is that I was raised, when I was very little, up until I was probably seven or eight, uh, in a Pentecostal church, okay? So I actually have a Pentecostal background. All right, now if you don't know what that is, um, I'll give you a small example. The kid version of Pentecostal for me and my sisters was we would stand on the edge of the couch and then one of us would say peanut butter and jelly, poof, and we would push each other over and fall down onto the couch. So that's the kid version of what Pentecostal was for us, all right? So depending on where I'm at in the country, my last name and my ethnicity changes, Okay? If my last name is pronounced Gunjalves, then I'm in Massachusetts. It's a very strong Portuguese last name. If I'm in Texas, it's pronounced Gonzales. It's a very strong Mexican name, okay? If it's pronounced Gonslavesis, then I'm probably talking to a telemarketer, <laughs> all right? So, why do I tell you all this? These cultural nuances, these little bits and pieces of my story, uh, they make up who I am. They make up part of the shape 
that is Doug Gonzalez. But thankfully, uh, not every single one of us is the same shape, right? We've all got different stories. We've all got different cultural backgrounds, different locations all across America. So when we get a bunch of shapes that are different and throw them in the same room together and shake them up, there's bound to be some friction, right? There's bound to be some banging into one another, some cultural differences kind of crossing paths, right? So this is where we find ourselves at the end of Paul's letter. We finally see Paul addressing exactly what it is that he wants to talk about in this letter and who it is that he's talking to. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump in Philippians 4, verses 1 through 7, okay? So let's pray. Uh, Jesus, uh, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you that you're here, that you're a part of us, that you're uh, teaching us every day how to be more like you. I ask that you uh, just uh, bring your spirit, uh, that you just teach us something this morning, Lord, and that you give me the gift of teaching. Um, Just help dial in, Lord. Help this whole message dial in, Lord, that it can land into a place that exactly where you want it to be. So we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, now, Philippians 4, 1 through 7 should be coming up on the screen, and we'll read it together. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Dear friends, I plead with Yudia, and I plead with Sintaichi to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is God's word to us this morning. So, as we've talked over the last couple of weeks, Tim's been working through this series of this letter, this letter to the Philippian church. And we know that Paul uh, loves these folks. He's just banana sandwich over this group of people, Um, number one. Number two, he's writing it from prison, okay? Uh, But some other things you may not know about this, okay? Uh, Paul, at this point, has been church planning for 30 years, when the time he wrote this letter. 30 years. So number one. Number two, uh, as we saw in the beginning of the letter, and I don't know if anybody of you remember this, but Paul's not sure if he's going to live or die soon. Like, like this is Paul's potentially his last words to the Philippian church. So as he begins to deal with some issues that are going on in the church, we have to realize that what Paul's saying, it could be his last words, And it's probably from 30 years of church planning experience. So he knows some things. And he knows that what he's about to say is very important to the life of this church. Could be the last thing he ever says. And the third thing is, is something that I didn't pick up on right away, was that um, this church hasn't, like, fallen off the rails yet. Um, He's not talking to them as if they're a total mess and there's a huge problem and he's got to get them back in line. Uh, When Paul talks to people that need to get back in line, he calls them dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh. He's not calling these people that, okay? Uh, He loves these folks. And so he knows that they're, you know what? I've been doing this a long time, and I can see some problems coming. So I better start talking to him about it now before it gets bad later. So 
What we can gather from the text is that the specifics of this particular strain, this argument, this thing going on between Yodia and Sintaichi, what we can gather is that the details aren't necessarily important. But what is important is that uh, the net result of differences can either be constructive or deconstructive. That's what Paul's driving at, that the net result of the differences between these two people in the church can either be constructive or deconstructive. They can produce something or they can tear something down. And so I want to answer one question this morning. How can we allow, as a church, our differences to work for us and not against us? How can we allow our differences to work for us and not against us? And the way that I want to answer that question is I'm going to hit three things, all right? Three things. We're going to identify the problem, we're going to identify the solution, and then we're going to identify the payoff, okay? What's the payoff if we do this thing that God's asking us to do? So let's look at verse 2. I plead with Yodia and Sintaichi to agree with one another in the Lord. So we see here that these two ladies... Uh, they were partners in the gospel of Jesus. They were Paul's partners. They were people that were right by his side, sharing Jesus, just bringing it, okay? And they're having a disagreement. Paul's been doing this a long time, and he sees what's going on here. He sees the potential for differences to grow into distractions, and then those distractions grow into deconstruction. And so we don't want that, and neither does Paul. So I'm going to call these disagreements friction, Okay, so your first fill-in, if you're tracking along with me, is that the problem is friction. The critical thing that Paul wants to address is friction in the church. And so uh, to kind of go through this message, I went, okay, well, I want to figure out what is actual friction. Like, not the definition, but how does friction happen, okay? And so I went on MythBusters.com because that's like the basic way to understand something, because I, I failed earth science when I was in eighth grade. I don't, I don't get this whole thing. So I said, all right, I need a basic version of what friction actually does. And Mythbusters helped me out, so thank you. All right, so here's what they said. The surface of any given object is not smooth. It may seem smooth, but if you look closely, uh, the surface of any given object has little hills and valleys, little highs and lows to it, Okay. Even ice, ice has highs and lows to it. It's not smooth. Uh, There's nothing that is completely smooth. And so when you look closely, uh, there are these hills and valleys that give it shape. And so friction happens when two things, two hills and valleys, start crashing into one another, okay, moving back and forth. And so uh, when you rub two things together that have different shapes, um, it creates friction, Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. What hills and valleys, what little nuances in you make your shape? And how do they rub up against everybody every week when you come to this building, right? What kind of friction, what kind of cultural nuances, what kind of little hills and valleys that make you who you are rub up against other people? Now, what happens when you get enough friction? Any Boy Scouts? What happens? You get fire, right? And fire can either be constructive or very deconstructive, right? Depends on where you go with it. And so enough, fi- enough friction can create fire. So when does our friction become deconstructive? 
When do our differences start breaking down what God's doing here as opposed to building it up? Here's what it is. When another person's race, language, financial status, north, south, religious background, when that stuff causes you to devalue a person in any way, we've begun to deconstruct the kingdom. Our friction has started to do the wrong thing. It's created fire, but not the good kind of fire. And so we've got to take a good hard look at ourselves and say, okay, is race more important than relationship? Is economic status more important than equality? Is your hometown more important than hospitality? Is your religious style more important than redemption? Is your politics more important than a person? Our differences, our friction become deconstructive when we let those things devalue how we feel about another person. When a person walks into the room who's not like you, when a person who walks to the church who maybe uh, is more expressive in their worship than you are, and you look at them and say, you know what, I've got problems, I've got things going on, but I don't really want to talk to that person. I don't think they can really help me out. You've devalued that person. When you look at a person's race and say, you know what, Uh, I'm so glad they're here in the church, but I'm not going to invite them to my small group, you've devalued that person. That's friction in the church that causes the wrong kind of fire. And so Paul says, look, we need to drive at something very simple here. We have to keep the main thing the main thing. He says it's okay to be different. He's not saying for everybody to be the same, but he says we can't let those differences pull us off of Jesus. He says, look, you guys need to be of the same mind in the Lord. He doesn't say be the same person. He doesn't say agree on everything. He says set your minds on Jesus because when you set your minds on Jesus, it'll right the ship of your class. It's going to face the right direction towards Jesus. And so kind of at the core, this is how I feel about it, is at the core of most deeply held opinions and cultural nuances, at the very core of that is this little grain of selfishness because we really want to preserve our identity, right? We really want what we grew up with, how we grew up, the places we live, we really want that to be a part of our story. We want that to be part of our identity. And so when that comes right in direct contact with something else, we want to preserve it. Our initial reaction is, no, 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 I'm, I'm right. My way of doing things is right. No, 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 this is the way I was raised for 50 years. This is, this is how this works. And so friction starts happening very quickly, and we start deconstructing what God's doing here. Now, when you set your mind on the Lord... All of that melts away. When you put your focus back on Jesus, we're reminded of what it cost to bring every single one of us here. When we set our mind on the Lord, we were reminded of what it cost. When you look at your brother and sister in Christ who's a different race, different economic status, different religious background than you, when you look at them, you need to see that that person's life cost the life of Christ. When a homeless person comes into our midst and is a mess and is barely paying attention to the message or he's falling asleep and you look at that person, you look at him and you say, that life cost the life of Christ. When you see somebody who's a different race than you and you say, you know what, that person's life cost the life of Christ. And maybe you need to hear this this morning, your life cost the life of Christ. 
Maybe the friction you're experiencing is the person in the mirror. And you need to remind yourself that your life cost the life of Christ. And so when we set our mind on Jesus, that's when our value system gets set right. That's when our friction can start going to work. So what's the solution? Because remember, we're not trying to solve our differences. We're not trying to make them like they don't exist. We're trying to make our differences go to work for us. We're trying to make our differences go to work. And so if you're uh, tracking along with me, let's look at verse 5. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. If you're tracking along in your fill-ins, the solution is to prefer one another. The solution is to prefer one another. See, the moment we look at our brother and sister that's in friction with us, and we choose to love them more than we love ourselves, when we choose to prefer them over ourselves, our friction goes to work. I'll give you an example of this. <clears throat> About a year ago, um, I preached a message here at Seacoast, and uh, I had met this guy uh, out in the lobby. And probably spent about 15 minutes just talking with him, talking to him about baptism and different things. And he was all excited to be a part of what we're doing here at Seacoast. And when the conversation was over, um, I thought, wow, that was great. Now, this particular man, for whatever reason in life, really only felt comfortable dressing as a woman. Okay? Now, you want to talk about some cultural friction. That is something that I do not have any experience with. Okay? (laughs) I promise I don't. So as we talked and as we dealt with one another, uh, yeah, there was, there was some differences of the way we do life. And a few months went by, and I'm at my work, uh, you know, working at my office, and, and we share the same building with Subway. And my building kind of sticks out a little bit farther, and so if I'm in my lobby of my building, I can look through the window and see who's in Subway. And so one day, I'm standing out there just kind of not working, looking at the cars go by. And uh, next thing I know, I kind of look back, and, and, and there he is. He's in Subway. And I thought to myself, well, I should go say hi. You know, I haven't seen him in a couple of months. So I walk out of my building. I open up the front door to Subway. And I'm standing there. And he's not, he's not facing me. He's facing the, you know, the, the place where you order your food. And I just take in the moment for a second. And I look at everybody in the building. And I noticed that uh, the people facing him, serving him food, have got kind of these forced fake smiles. And then everybody else kind of in the room were kind of talking in hushed whispers and kind of looking at him and kind of, you know, um, you know whispering amongst themselves and smiling and pointing. And, and in that moment, I asked myself, I said, I wonder how many of the people in this room are Christians? It's kind of a weird question. So in that moment, I did something totally crazy. From the back of the subway, I yelled out his name. All right? I just walked up, and I went, Christine! And he turns around. I mean, not even know what's going on. He turns around, and I smiled at him, and I walked right up to that man, gave him the biggest hug I possibly could, and carried on a 15-minute conversation with him right in front of everybody. 
And I said, how are you doing, man? What's, what's going on in your life? Where have you been? What brings you down to Merle's Inlet? He said, well, I'm wig shopping. And I said, cool. Did you find anything good? And he said, yeah, I found some cool things. I said, that's great. I said, do you want to have lunch with me? And he said, no, I can't. I got somewhere to be. I said, that's great. No problem, man. Um, whatever you're doing, I said, look, come back to Seacoast. Come back and hang out. We haven't seen you in a while. And um, the conversation ended. And with tears in his eyes, he looked at me and he said, thank you so much for remembering me. Thank you so much for coming over here. And I looked at him and I said, absolutely, man, you're family. Now, what made that moment so beautiful was that we were in friction. What made that moment so beautiful was that gentleness be evident to all. When I looked at him, I said, what do I want? What would I want if a member of Seacoast saw me out in public? I'd want them to come up to me and hug me and talk to me like I'm family. So that's what he needed. And so our difference in that, in that moment, our friction is what made it beautiful. But here's what Paul's saying we need to do. We have to make our love for each other obvious. We have to make our love for each other obvious. That no matter what differences, no matter what friction we've got coming against one another, it doesn't matter. We love each other like crazy. That's what God calls us to, and that's what Paul says needs to happen. That we don't just love each other within the four walls of this building. That if I see you out in public, oh, you're getting a hug. I might even kiss you on the cheek. I don't even know. But I'm telling you, if I see you out in public, you're getting a hug, all right? Paul says, let your gentleness, let your love be obvious. Let's go on to verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You see, our friction goes to work for each other when we prefer the problems of someone else over our own. That every single one of us, we have stuff in life that needs God's grace. I'm going to say that again so you can agree. Every single one of us has stuff in life that needs God's grace. Amen? Yeah. Um, And so with that, when we freely choose to love someone enough to say, hey, look, how can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? This is what's going on with me. You know, can we pray together? Can we talk together about what's going on? When we do that, nothing builds a relationship stronger or faster, for that matter, than vulnerability. Okay? Vulnerability will build a relationship so quickly because you take all the masks off, all the layers off, and you say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm working through, and I really need God's grace. Can you pray with me? That'll build a relationship. It crosses all the boundaries and makes us all human. Because here's the deal, guys. Brokenness is universal. Brokenness is universal. Doesn't matter what race you are. Doesn't matter what class you come from. Doesn't matter where you're from in the entire world. Brokenness is universal. Every single human needs Jesus. And so he says, don't be anxious don't carry the weight of your own problems. You've got about 400 people collectively in the Seacoast family that is here for you, wants to pray with you, wants to get with you on what's going on in your life and be a part of the problems that you have. Friction goes to work when your problems are my problems and my problems are your problems. That's when friction goes to work. So uh, Jay Elkins, the college pastor here, I've talked to, him, talked to you about him before. Um, he's my, uh, probably one of my, my closest friends down here. And our relationship was built 
because I said, you know what, man? I just got to be vulnerable with you. I just got, I'm going to tell you exactly where I'm at in life. And he made it a safe place. And so if you're looking to build relationships here at Seacoast, you need to make yourself a safe place for vulnerability. Let someone know that, yeah, you can be honest with me. I'm not going to judge you, all right? You be honest with me. We'll pray together. We'll get Jesus on your team, and we'll work it out together. And I'll call you next week to see how you're doing. That's how you build relationships in the kingdom, vulnerability. So be a safe place and handle it well, and you'll be surprised how many relationships start growing. Verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord. When does he say to rejoice? Always. Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Now, Paul does not waste time writing words that he doesn't mean. So when he says something twice, it's important. Rejoice just means celebrate. Celebrate all the time. Keep doing it. Don't stop. Because here's the thing. When you're making a big deal about Jesus, it is super hard to make a big deal about anything else. Okay? It really is. Like the moment you start saying, man, Jesus is awesome, you just go off the rails. I mean, there's nothing left to talk about except how awesome Jesus is. And so he says, celebrate. Celebrate all the time. That's why he can say crazy wild things like to live as Christ and to die as gain. To say everything is considered a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Because the moment you start dialing into Jesus, there ain't room for anything else. And so when it comes to our differences, when it comes to our friction, it goes to work. When people who the world says shouldn't be getting along are standing side by side making a big deal about Jesus. That's when our friction goes to work. That starts telling people something. When you've got a northerner and a southerner, when you've got white folks and black folks and Asian folks and and brown folks all hanging out together making a big deal about Jesus, that says something. And so when we do this, it puts our friction to work. So what's the payoff? This is the exciting part. What's the payoff of putting our friction to work? Well, if we look at verse 7, it says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Fill in number three, if you're tracking along, the payoff is peace. The payoff is peace. When Paul talks about the peace of God, he's talking about the deepest sense of security and harmony that you can have in Christ and with your fellow man. That's the kind of peace he's talking about. And when he says it transcends all understanding, I call it, it's the wow peace of God. It's the wow peace of God. It's the kind of peace that comes when that when you encounter it, you say, wow. You know? I mean, wow, okay. This is the way. We had a church full of multiple ethnicities, uh, cultures, political views, races, economic statuses, all worshiping together, loving one another, praying together. It's the kind of peace that becomes active. It's the kind of peace that does something. See, in this day and age, in Paul's writing, uh, there was this enforced kind of peace by the Roman government called the Pax Romana, okay? But all that meant was the absence of war. It was the absence of friction. That's all the Pax Romana was. But the peace of God, the peace of God, the overwhelming unity that comes in Christ Jesus, it happens in the midst of much friction. 
The true peace of God doesn't happen in the absence of friction, but happens in the presence of friction. And that says something. That says something. So the payoff is that when we do this, when we choose to love each other the way God's called us to, we get to live under a kind of peace that not only gives us security and harmony with our brothers and sisters, but he says it protects us. It guards our hearts and minds. That's that active peace, that the peace of God will actually start guarding against these terrible attitudes that break down the kingdom. That when you start pursuing unselfish love, when you start pursuing people outside of your own cultural background, when you start pursuing people that make you super uncomfortable because you don't know anything about them, when you start doing that in love, that peace will start guarding against those attitudes. I know it's hard. I know that it's hard to reach into another culture that's not your own and bring someone close into you. But when you do, God says, I'll be there. Like, I'll help you through it. He's not saying, okay, go off alone, go do your thing, go make nice with other cultures. That's not what he says. He says, look, the peace of God will be on you, and it'll guard you. It'll take care of you. It'll guard your heart. And so God's a part of that process with you. So unity in the way God has laid it out for us, it doesn't become unity until it thrives in the midst of friction. Unity becomes unity when it thrives in the midst of friction. So as we said before, friction makes fire, and that can be just deconstructive. But when we embrace one another, when we choose to love one another unselfishly, that fire becomes a warm light that the family of God can worship Jesus around. And so we have a very dark world that we're living in right now. Okay, Ben, you guys can make your way up here. I'm going to be closing us out here. We are in a very, very dark world right now. I mean, I don't need to tell you how many stories have come up about violence against people because of other races, violence against people because of other religions, violence against people because we're American, violence against all of us for one reason or another because of differences, because of friction. And the world says, we've just got to get along. But God says, yeah, you can have your differences, but it's not just getting along. It's loving one another. It's not just existing side by side, but it's putting your arm around somebody you're in direct friction with and saying, I love you. And so if you're here this morning and you're still kind of milling around out in the dark and you can see the fire and you can see all this celebration and all this joy and you want in, don't let a single thing about your story hold you back from jumping into the family. You're invited. You are 100% invited. We want you here. We want you a part of the family. And then secondly, if you're here this morning and you're a believer, and maybe as I was listing off some of those things that we're in friction with others about, and God's kind of bringing it to your mind, there may be some people you need to ask forgiveness from, okay? I don't know. I'll let Jesus deal with you on that. But there may be some people you need to say, hey, look, I haven't valued you the way that God wants me to value you. Will you forgive me? 
See the beauty of what God will do with that. I think that's the main thing that God wants you to take away this morning. Is that if you've hurt some people, if you've let your cultural nuances create fire that was deconstructive, I think you need to get with those people and ask for forgiveness. So we've got a prayer team available. We've got people here who want to get on your team, who want to be a part of you. Uh, Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Build that relationship. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.